The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll use that as a springboard today as we talk about hope. Uh, I love this graphic that Mark made, and we had uh, folks up here decorating trees and decorating this building, and we are grateful as we look and as we think about Christ coming to earth as a baby to be our Savior. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. You uh, always have been, as long as I've been part of this body before I was on staff, TBC has been a generous people. We're grateful for that. God's been good to us through a hard time, and it's enabled us to continue doing what we're doing. As you consider end-of-year gifts, financial gifts or stock gifts, we, the elders, would just ask that you would prayerfully consider our ministry as you look at how you give at the end of the year, and we want to use those gifts to honor the Lord and take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. Because just like we're going to talk about today for Israel, there are still people longing for light and longing for hope. So as we do this series, what we're going to do is we talk about hope this week and then peace and then joy and then love. We're going to use descriptors and names of Jesus to see him as the source and the content of our hope and our peace and our joy and our love as we remember his first coming and as we wait for his second. We, uh, we hope for all kinds of things. We use the word hope like all of these things have the same sort of importance or fit into the same category. We hope our our kids turn out okay. We hope that our team does better next year. I stopped hoping that, right? We hope the weather is nice or at least that we do not have a hundred year cataclysmic ice storm this next February. We hope, I hope that HEB restocks their little Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes. We hope Aunt Alice doesn't tell that same story again at Christmas. Maybe you hope that rash goes away. You keep that to yourself if that's you. See, there's a difference, though, in hoping for something and hoping in something. And over the past couple of years, it would have been really easy, I think, for people all over the world and really maybe many of us in this room, as we've experienced personally the pain of living in a world gone awry it would be easy to hope for things and mistake that for hoping in something while we wait for the world to be made right while we wait for the king to come and we kind of ask how long is the world going to be this way see Isaiah in Isaiah 9 verse 2 said the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them a light has shined. He wrote that to a people who were in exile. And then he went on to say, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There are these people walking in darkness and they are longing for light and they are longing for hope. And Isaiah said, a a child is born and a son is given and they're going, we're in exile, how long? 
What's, what's it going to be? How long? Is, is it going to take a year for this to be over? Is it going to take two years? Is it going to take 18 months? Is it going to take three years? Israel was hoping They'd been cast out of Israel and they were in Babylon for 70 years and they were hoping and then they were called back to Jerusalem, 50,000 people over a period of about 100 years with Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah that we'll study in the spring. They were called back to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the people, but then the kingdom was divided between Israel and Judah and then there was just quiet and they lived in hope for 400 years and in the midst of that Caesar conquered the world and at the most unlikely time then Christ was born when the Barry says it this way he says it just gets darker and darker and darker and the people are longing for hope it gets darker and darker and then Jesus is born Israel was hoping for the Messiah And a lot of people lived and died hoping. And God was not unfaithful to them. That Messiah came. And we need to know as we consider where and how we're gonna put our hope that that God has not been and will not be unfaithful to us in the midst of darkness and brokenness and pain. So I want us to answer just a couple of questions this morning. One is why... Did Israel hope in Jesus and why should we? And number two, who did Jesus come to bring hope to? Now you understand those are just really big questions and I can't give all of the answers to that in the next hour and a half I have to speak to you, right? But we can get some of the answers. Why should we hope in Jesus? Why should we hope in Jesus? And then who did Jesus come to bring hope to? Why do we hope in Jesus? And I want us to look just at different places in the scripture to see these ways that Jesus is described, these names given to him to see why we hope in him. And the first simply is because he is our hope. Paul, a Jew, writing to Timothy, a Jew, says at the beginning of his first letter, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now that's just the first verse. You could keep on reading, but you gotta stop right there because Jesus Christ was the Messiah that Israel was hoping for, and he is the Savior that we hope in. He is the hope of Israel. But not only that, Isaiah, just shortly after he, he wrote the passage that we read this morning, he said, in him, this child in the line of Jesse is going to come, and in him the Gentiles will put their hope. See, since the fall happened, God's people were hoping for Eve's offspring that would come and crush the serpent's head. And then they were hoping for Abraham's seed and Isaac and Jacob's seed who would come and bless the nations. They were hoping for the lion of Judah who would come and deliver them. They were hoping for David's offspring who would have a never ending kingdom. They were hoping for a virgin to conceive. So Emmanuel, God with us, would come. They were hoping for a Messiah who would 
be called out of Egypt for a Christ who would be born in Bethlehem for one who would come to destroy the works of the devil, who would be a spotless lamb, a perfect sacrifice, a humble king. He would bring righteousness to Israel and salvation to the nations. He would be despised and rejected and he would set the captives free. And here they are, captive in Babylon, and they are hoping for him. What are you hoping in and what are you hoping for? If this circumstance just got right, I would find God trustworthy. If the diagnosis just came back different, if I could just have this thing, if my 401k had this amount in it at this age, I'd know everything was going to be okay. We hope for things often instead of hoping in God. We get these things in my house um, that are just awful, these little Christmas catalogs, you know. And, uh, and my kids do not understand how to use them, right? You should open the catalog, find one thing and go, oh, this would be nice, parents. I would be so grateful if you'd get me this one thing. My little guys, though, they just open it and they go, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. I want that. And they start circling stuff. Like, hold on, right? Our money tree, it died in the freeze this last year. (laughs) You pick two or three things, you know, but we do that. We kind of come to God. I, I hope for this. I hope for this. And we can cry out to God and ask for all kinds of things, but he's not trustworthy because our circumstances are okay. He's not trustworthy because a pandemic's going to go away. He's trustworthy because of who he is and what he's done. He's redeemed us from sin and death and he is going to come again and set all things right. So just like Israel was hoping that when he came, the captives would be set free. Well, they were set free from their worst enemy, sin and death. When he comes again, He is going to set all things right. So even in the midst of darkness and even as the world gets darker and darker, we can hope in Jesus because he is our hope. He is our hope. His first coming was the hope of the nations. His second coming is the hope of the world. We put our hope in Jesus because he is our hope, but it's not just that he's our hope. He's Lord of all. He's shown himself worthy. He's proven himself to be worthy. When we think about the incarnation, one of the ways that I grew up thinking about it, I love the song. I still sing it today. I really enjoy singing it. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, right? Everything's great. You've got this baby that's born who's never going to cry, never going to have dirty diapers. And if they, he does, they smell like roses, Right? But really, this child came to this vulnerable situation in a city where people should have been but weren't looking for him. And the way Paul describes it to the church in Philippi, this king of glory, it says he emptied himself. Philippians 2, 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he made himself nothing. The creator of the stars becomes a baby. The one who made the hills the shepherds stood on as those angels came declaring glory to God in the highest. 
is in the most vulnerable situations anyone could ever find themselves. He made himself nothing. Then he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God is highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. See, he emptied himself. He became the most vulnerable state you could imagine. He came at a time unlikely, a place unexpected, a circumstance undesired, and he came to bring salvation and life. There are all kinds of religious alternatives to the Christ of the Bible. There are even other religions who offer a different sort of Jesus, but none are just quite accurate and none compare to this king of glory. See, Hindus have a Jesus but he's not God incarnate. He's really kind of like a Gandhi of the first century. Buddhist, Buddhist would acknowledge that Jesus lived. He was a really wise teacher, but he's just like a, another Buddha. Well, the Jews have a history of Jesus as an illegitimate child born to a woman and a sorcerer. Muslims have a Jesus. He's a prophet. He's not God. Mormons have a Jesus. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jehovah's Witnesses have a Jesus, but he's less than Jehovah. He's a created being. But the Bible has this Jesus who was the word, who was in the beginning, who became flesh and dwelt among us. He came as a baby. He died as a man and he rose as a king and he is Lord of all. Do you put your hope in him? Who do you say that he is? Can you put your hope in him as Lord of all creation? Have you examined who he is? See, we put our hope in Jesus because he is our only rightful hope. But not just that. It's not just a blind hope. We've looked and seen this Christ who came and lived and died and rose from the dead. We put our hope in him because he's Lord of all. But the Lord of all is also our deliverer. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica and he says other believers have seen the change that's happened in you. He says they themselves report concerning you the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead who delivers us from the wrath to come. Israel was waiting for a deliverer. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, now you wait for the deliverer. The Lord of all became our deliverer. The, the language of Isaiah made sense to God's people when he said in him the Gentiles will hope because they had seen God deliver his people. They had seen him deliver Abram and Sarai. They had seen him deliver Jacob. They had seen him deliver Israel out of Egypt. They had seen him deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. They're going to see him deliver them out of captivity and back into their land. But there's something even greater. Colossians 1, 1 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. 
Then he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, we hope in Jesus because he's worthy of our hope. He is our hope. But it's not just that he's our hope. He's Lord of all. And this Lord of all became a man and lived and died to deliver us out of the kingdom where we're enslaved our own sin into the kingdom of his great and beautiful father. Why do we hope in Jesus? We hope in Jesus because of who he is and what, what he does. Who does Jesus bring hope to? Who does he bring hope to? There are kind of three categories of people, really broad brush that I would say Jesus brings hope to. And first is the unexpected. When you think about the Messiah coming, he didn't come to Jerusalem to the temple, but rather God put a star in the sky in the east where, where Israel's in captivity when Isaiah writes these verses 700 years before Christ is born. So a star goes up to these unexpected people, never the ones you would expect to come and look for the king of the Jews, but they do. They travel on a really long journey, weeks and weeks, maybe months and months. They've got to gather supplies. They've got to gather animals. The conditions they're going through are harsh. They're going to go through sandstorms. They're going to go through windstorms. There are places they're going to go where they're close to running out of water. But God's got a purpose and a plan he's going to accomplish, and they make it. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if the wise men could have pulled out that map and plugged it in and and she could have just told them, I guess yours, mine's a lady. I don't know if yours is a lady, but this lady tells me. Stay in the right lane and turn on 2843 toward Florence, right? They didn't have any of that. It was an unexpected place. And then when they did come to Israel, when they did come to Israel, they didn't find the king in Jerusalem. They found him in Bethlehem. And and the announcement the angels made was to shepherds, not to scribes, not to the Pharisees, not to the chief priests, but really to the dregs of society who would have been looked down upon, to Galileans, to people like Simeon and Anna in the temple. Today, Jesus offers hope to the unexpected. Can I just ask, are there people that you know that you do not expect Jesus to save? You think, surely not that guy, surely not that lady. I visited with someone this weekend that my wife and I uh, watched God redeem in a way we never would have imagined, and six years later, it still just blows my mind. But just like then, he comes to the unexpected, so kind of three questions. One, who are you afraid to talk about Jesus with? Is there someone that you just think, I just can't, I'm just scared to death, I'm nervous to bring it up? Who are you afraid to talk about Jesus with next question, who are you hesitant to talk to about Christ? Well, they're never gonna believe this. They're just, there's no way. If you knew who they were, Chase, there's no way. And I would agree with you, but I know me. <laughs> and I, I know that somebody came and talked to me in the most unlikely of times where I was so angry, didn't want anything to do with the Lord. I just thought I was righteous enough. So, so here's a question just to consider. When we choose not to share the gospel, aren't we really kind of putting ourselves in the role of God? Aren't we really just sort of going, oh, God, God, God's not gonna save them, right? If you knew this person, there's just no way. We're kind of putting ourselves in the role instead of giving him the all-powerful creator of the world, 
right? Sovereign God who raised Jesus from the dead instead of giving his spirit the opportunity to do its work in them. We just kind of play God and go, they'll, ne- they'll never listen. And they might not, but they just might because Jesus offers hope to the unexpected and not just the unexpected, but the undeserving. The undeserving, we can tend to think about people who don't know Christ and dehumanize them in ways we would never dehumanize ourselves. But Paul Speaking to the church in Ephesus, about the church in Ephesus, but probably also about the church in Central Texas. He says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. There's some people that you're hesitant to talk to and others you just don't want to talk to. Jesus comes and gives hope to the undeserving. Then there's a third category of people that TBC has always loved to talk about that Jesus comes to give hope to. He came in the first century to give hope and he comes again to give hope and that is the unreached. The unreached, people with little or no gospel witness. One of my favorite things about Temple Bible Church is I walked in as a visitor September 14th 2002 or September 15th, 2002, right in there is there's this big map on the wall and this was a church that was taking the gospel unreached. I remember Laura and I just talking about how we got to get connected to that place. It's a beautiful thing that's happening. Well, what are the unreached though? Does unreached mean somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Well, the unreached don't know Jesus, but it's more than that. See, if somebody in your neighborhood is lost, if they're without Christ, they're not unreached. If, if they live four houses down from you and, and they don't know Jesus, it's because you or another Christian on your street has not shared the gospel with them or they've heard it and just rejected it. But among the unreached, these are people with little or no access to the gospel and the great majority of them live here. If you've been here long enough, you've heard us talk about it. It's a 1040 window It's where the heart of tribal religions and Hindu and Muslim and Buddhist and unreligious atheists and East Asia live. It's where 95% of those with little to no access to the gospel exist. To live among the unreached means you probably will never meet a Christian. You might, but you probably won't. You'll never hear the gospel. And it's a huge deal when we think about hope because among the unreached, people are dying without hope. Now, the numbers are staggering and I want to share the numbers with you, but I want to get past the numbers pretty quickly to the people. Among the 1040 window, there are about 17 million people that die with little or no access to the gospel every year. That's 46,000 a day, 32 a minute, or one every two seconds. So when you think about the 1040 window, every two seconds, somebody who's probably never heard the gospel goes to a Christless eternity, separate from God forever. 
Now those numbers are staggering, but they're not numbers. They're people made in the image of God. They're Albanians. They're atheists and Islamic. They're Eritreans. They have an oppressive government. They've little or no chance of hearing the gospel. They're the Fulani in North and West Africa. They're the Kashmiri in North India and Afghanistan. These are hard fields. There's a reason they're unreached. 23 of the 65 countries in the 1040 window are on travel warning lists for the State Department. They're the bara of Madagascar where we're sending Hannah Edwards to share the gospel next year. They're the Thai where we've sent the Smiths and we've sent the Deckers. They're the Uyghurs in China. And then they're the Mangan in Papua New Guinea. Now you might look at this slide and go, I don't think everybody in that picture is part of the Mangan tribe. And they're not because Jesus is sending his people to give hope to the unreached. What you see here is, is some mangian men and boys and Jonathan Ames and a couple of his sons. So Jonathan and Devin Ames, 10 years ago, were part of Temple Bible Church. Jonathan was working at Carpenter Mattress and Devin was working at Starbucks. You guys ever heard of that place? A little coffee shop in town? And they just through reading the scripture and praying about God's heart for the nations, really felt compelled that, that their family was to take the gospel to a tribal people in Papua New Guinea. So here's the Ames family now. So they went to a, a Bible school where over four years they learned about God's heart for the nations. They learned about how to teach the Bible. They also learned how to pluck and boil chickens, right? They learned all kinds of things. And then they got on an airplane and they flew to... Uh, their base in Papua New Guinea where they began to learn the trade language. And then what they are going to do is they're gonna learn the Mangan language that is not yet written down or is beginning to be written down. They'll translate the language. Uh, they'll begin writing books in the language. They'll write the scripture in the language. They'll teach the Mangan people the gospel and by God's grace, they'll see a church among the Mangan that will then go share the gospel with other nearby tribes. So this normal family from Temple, Texas, just ends up going to the least reach. How in the world does that happen? How does a family like this get to the Mangan? I think part of the answer is that they died to the way they thought life was supposed to be. They began to get eternalized. Like Amy Carmichael said, we have all eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. So the Ames family said, we're gonna go and share the gospel with a manger because they know that new life in Jesus is harder and sweeter and deeper than they could have ever imagined. So here they are. Wait, they took Batman to the manger? I thought they were taking the gospel. So they moved over as a family. Little Selah here is doing her school. Jackson, who smiled, can light up the room doing his school. How in the world did this family get to the unreached? Well, part of that is they, they got there by you partnering with them, praying with them, coming alongside them as they go. 
how in the world did they get to the unreached? But really, probably a more pertinent question is how do you and I live out the truths of the gospel right here in Central Texas today? How do we live out this reality that we hope in Jesus Christ? That we have put all of our eggs in this one basket or all of our presents under this one tree. We are trusting in him and And it's all about him. We are staking our lives on this claim that Jesus rose from the dead and he's the only hope to bring light to this world that is so full of darkness. How did they get there? How did they get to the manger? Well, it starts with the manger. And that this Christ child who emptied himself lived and died and rose from the dead and So now, by the power of his Holy Spirit, because of the grace that's alive in us, because Jesus rose from the dead, because of these truths that we read and believe in his living and active word, we remember his incarnation, but we also wait, like Israel waited, we wait for his return. The next to the last verse in the Bible I think is a great Advent verse and it's a great verse full of hope. John speaking about Jesus says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Like Israel waited, a child is born, a son is given. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. Surely I'm coming soon. And John says, amen. Come Lord Jesus. And so we say that too, amen, come Lord Jesus, and we hope in you. And as we do, let's labor with all we have to spread his hope to our neighbors and among all the nations. Could we ask for that right now? Could we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you emptied yourself, that you came, and that you are, in fact, our hope. You're the one that Israel hoped in and hoped for, And you came and lived and died and rose from the dead. And now we put all of our hope in you. We put all of our trust in you. You are our deliverer and you will set all things right and this world gonna rise. So Father, help us to be a people that by your grace die to ourselves and live to Christ. Let us be a people who share hope with the unexpected, who share hope with the undeserving. And let us as a church continue to take the gospel to the unreached and to the reach to those right around us, Lord. As Jesus is our only hope, come, Lord, quickly, please. In Jesus' name, amen.